Yeah. <laughs> I have one of those. They filled up the front row today, which is weird. So, so. All right. So, um, many years ago, uh, not long after I had started preaching, I, and I was a, not nearly as nice back then as I am today, if you can imagine that. And um, so one day, one of the deacons, we were, I was uh, standing at the door uh, shaking them out. So that's how I roll. I shake them in, shake them up, shake them down. That's the offering. And shake them out. <laughs> anyway, so I'm shaking them out. And he says, you were just meddling today, Pastor. And I said, yeah, you're probably right. So uh, today I'm going to meddle a bit. No. <laughs> What we're going to do is we're starting a series, uh, it's actually on boundaries, so if you've ever read the book by Henry Cloud, that's, that's, there's some source material in that, uh, however, you won't recognize it once it comes out of my mouth because that's how I roll, and uh, so your study, guys, if you grabbed one today or if you want to grab one offline uh, at OrdinaryFaith.net, your study guides have a, a Bible reading at the top, which are based on each of my sermons, and then there's also an additional resources at the bottom so you can see what chapter that some of the source material came from. So if you're following along in small groups, it could be really helpful to you. Now, why am I doing this? A couple reasons. One, the gospel. Too often we relegate the gospel to a past event and that it is something that is just for lost people who need to find Jesus. That is not the case. The gospel is for every day of our life. It's the most practical thing in the world. And so this is applying the gospel to me directly on a day-by-day basis. So that's, that's part of what boundaries are about. The second thing it's about, and the reason I'm entering this series at the beginning of the year, is that the reality is, is a lot of believers today have no time nor energy left for God. Now, I'm not trying to punch you in the gut or anything. I'm just saying that's the reality. We are pushing ourselves to the very limits of our time, of our energy, of our relationships, our emotional capacity to care, and we're finding ourselves with so much that needs to be done in the world, and we don't have anything left to do about it, okay? So this is about how to manage the reality of limits in our life. Does that make sense? We're all limited people. Does anyone have 24 hours and one minute in your day? No, we don't. It's, you, you, you've all got 24 hours. And you have differing degrees of energy in you and strength about you. And only you can know you with the Father's wisdom. Does that make sense? So let's dive into a story that's going to seem like it doesn't fit. But that's okay. Uh, You're used to me starting in a weird place. So Luke 10, verse 30. Pause. Set it up. Jesus had just said, Jesus had just been asked, what's the most important commandment? Jesus' answer, love God and love your neighbor like you love you. Okay, he said as yourself, but that means like you love you, okay? And so he just said that. And so there was a snarky dude in the audience. Any snarky people in the house? Okay, all right, good deal. And he says, all right, who's my neighbor? So here's Jesus' answer, verse 10. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by 
on the other side of the road. He had time to walk away, but not, uh, anyway, never mind. Verse 33, then a jerk came along. I mean, a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now, I don't want you to miss the point of the story, but there are several applications. What's the point? Who's my neighbor? My neighbor's the person that I can reach out and care for that's, in my, that's right here with me. It's the person who shows compassion, okay? That's the one who was the neighbor to him. So I don't want you to miss that part of the story. But I also want you to see there are a whole lot of other parts of the story, okay? First of all, you've got a priest and a Levite. They're supposed to be the good guys, okay? They're the ones who, I mean, you would expect them to care. They're walking along, and so you've got to ask yourself a question. Why did they not care? I think that's a, why did they not do anything? It seems like an exceptional uh, thing, and maybe Jesus is using an exaggerated form to drive it home, but i got to ask the question, like, were they unable to help? I know this is thin, but I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Maybe they, you know, were sickly themselves. Maybe they were pressed for time, you know. Maybe they had other obligations and responsibilities. Maybe they were just at the end of their compassion. They had moved into compassion fatigue. It happens. Maybe, why, why were they unable to do anything? Or, were they unable? Were they unwilling? Were they just like, I don't care. I mean, I got my own problems. That guy's got his problems. He shouldn't have got beat up, Right? Because that's what you say. That's not my problem. Or maybe they just said, you know what? I just can't handle this today. Not today. I just can't even. Is that good? All right. Nailed it. Because that's what I see when I see people put that on Facebook. I just can't even. And I'm like, we need a ministry to the uneven in the church today. No, I'm sorry. I'm going to stop right there. Having too much fun. Let me pull that. Let me bring that in, okay? Why didn't they have compassion? You know, that's a, I think that's a good question. And then you, you come to the Samaritan guy. Why did he have compassion? I mean, Jews, Samaritans, you don't get much more racist than that relationship, okay? I mean, we're talking racism, not, not just a little prejudice, not just some discomfort, but they, like, hated each other, all right? And here's the Samaritan who, if we, look, if we think about the box his mind should have been trapped in, it should have been wrapped in prejudice, and he should have walked along and said, ha, there's a Jew, beat down the street, that's what he deserves, I'm out. That's what should have happened, okay? That's not what happened. Somehow the Samaritan came out of the box of racism and prejudice, and he had compassion on this guy. He's on a business trip, that's, that's clear from the, t the context, He's on his way. He's got something he has to do, but he stops. He's willing, and he's able. So what does he do? He helps the man. He bandages his wounds. He takes him to the inn, which is kind of like a, you know, we could think of it for this purpose like an ER or something like that. And then before he leaves, 
which he stays the night, and then the next day gets up and says, hey, I got his bill. I'll take care of it the next time I come through. So here's what I see in this story. I see a story of people who are boxed in by expectations, by other people, and then I see a guy who somehow breaks out of his box, but he's still responsible for his own life because he comes, he helps, and the next day, he leaves. Now, that can sound kind of heartless, can it? I mean, really? I mean, don't we kind of think, well, real compassion would have held that dude's hand until he got better. <laughs> but understand, the Samaritan, Jesus is de demonstrating a responsible life. And he had his own responsibilities that were his. Okay? You with me so far? A little bit different twist on the Good Samaritan, right? But it's a good thing to think about. So let's dive into where we are. Okay? Um, what do our lives look like? And that's the question we're going to dive into here in just a second, is what, is what is boxing us in? What controls, manages our lives? Now, I don't want you to raise your hand. I'm just going to ask a question so it's just rhetorical, okay? How many of you feel trapped or boxed in in your life? No amens, no hands going up, but how many of you feel that way? Why? It's your life. God gave it to you to steward. I need to throw that in there. <laughs> we as Americans think, it's my life, I do what I want. Wrong. It's God's life. He lets you use it while you're here, and our responsibility is to steward it, is to manage it. In fact, Paul says that, in a cool place, I think I'm off my notes here. It's fine. It's good. I'm used to it. I'm, in fact, I'll probably leave them most of the day. He says, a person who's put in charge as a manager must be faithful. So God gave you this life, and he gave you that life to use for him. So who bounds your life? Who's got you trapped? Who's in control? Okay? Doesn't that soak in a minute? Is it people you're afraid of. A lot of times we go through life and we're afraid. We're afraid of conflict. We're afraid of disappointing people. We're afraid of people not liking us and it traps us, right? You know what I'm talking about? If you know what I'm, I'm a people pleaser, so I know what I'm talking about. If you do, give me a nod just so I know I'm not alone. A couple of us. There's only a few people pleasers in the room. That's weird. <laughs> Usually there's so many more. You know, here's one scenario. It's just one. Many of us grew up parenting our parents. Does that sound weird? What happens is someone becomes a mom or a dad. They may be young, maybe immature, but they have a child, and they put all their hopes and dreams on the child. Is that fair to a child to put your whole hopes and dreams, all your needs for love, on the child? So what happens is the parent ends up idolizing the child, which means that uh, being an idol is not a good thing. <laughs> it just means that they, they kind of, uh, they want the child to give them everything they need. And so you grow up with that, but you don't know that because you're a child. And your, your brain hasn't developed into a place where you can understand the dynamics in your home relationship. What happens, though, is that you grow up and you don't understand 
that, there are, that, that you are actually just responsible for you. You grew up managing the expectations and the responses of your parents or a sibling or someone else. How many of you are like that? You're terrified of, some, of what someone else will do. Do you understand that what they do is their responsibility? People getting mad at you, do you actually have any control over that? Not really. I'm probably going to make some of you mad today. There's not much I can do about it. I can either love you enough to tell you that there's a better way, or I can be a people pleaser and try and manage your expectations, and then we both lose. Does that make sense? Some of us are in a trap because we're afraid uh, of things. Some of us are in a trap because of our needs. We really need things from people, and we're afraid that if we don't meet their expectations, they'll abandon us, and that's probably what caused it was an abandonment somewhere in your life. Someone in your life, probably someone that meant a lot to you in a key point, it could have been a parent, could have been a friend, could have been whatever, they betrayed you, abandoned you, and now you have trust issues. I mean, I'm sure none of you have trust issues, but some people have trust issues that I have met in the ministry over just a few thousand <laughs> this week. No, I'm just kidding. So we have th these things, and so we fear that we won't get our needs met, and so we, we try and manage that side of it. And it doesn't work out well for us, okay? It makes us hypersensitive to people. It makes us responsible for them. Then there's the issue of physical limitations. There's a lot of issues. I'm only covering a couple right now because I'm limited on time. I've only got three hours to share this. <laughs> but how many of you find yourself at the end all the time? I'm at the end of my emotional strength. I'm at the end of my finances. I'm at the end of my time. I'm at the end of my energy. And there are still people asking you for more. And rather than you realizing I'm a limited person, you beat yourself up because you don't actually have more. Uh, there's only one infinite person that I know of. His name is Jesus. Okay? By the way, he was able to love in an unlimited capacity because he was able to receive that from his father, not because he had it in him naturally. He received it from dad. And it'll be the same with you. Your capacity to love will be increased by how much you're able to receive from your father God and from the body of Christ. But I'll come back to that later. Okay, so think about it. How do you feel about that? You have to answer out loud, not asking to fill out a survey. There's actually no test, even though your study guide looks like it's a test, it, it's, there's not actually a test. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about being a limited being? And are you going to do something about it? And if so, what could you do about it? So let's take this idea on. Try this on for size. And before I even say it, I just want to qualify qualify by saying this. There's a twist here. Here's what I want to say. You have the power to change your life. You agree with that? Amen. Okay, thanks. Thanks, son. <laughs> you have the power to change your life. You agree with that? But you're like, you're like ah, it's a trap. <laughs> he wants me to respond so that... Uh, he can set me up later. Um, yeah, you have the power to change your life, but it's not what you think. So think about Paul, Romans 7. I love this passage. 
Gives me a lot of courage and encourages me. But in Paul 7, I mean Romans 7, Paul 7, oh my gosh. I did not drink enough coffee today. It says, I, I don't really understand myself. Amen? Amen. I don't really get me. <laughs> I don't understand myself. I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Verse 19, I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Amen? Amen? You know what that's about, right? Okay, so here Paul comes along. He says in verse 23, there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. So I said you have the power to change your life, but it's not the power you think it is. You go to the, to the self-help section of any bookstore or go to Amazon and, and uh, look right, type in how to change my life and so forth, you're going to get thousands, tens of thousands of books that are going to tell you how to use willpower, maybe support communities, all kinds of things, change your life, positive self-talk. They're going to fill you up with all these ideas that you can change you. And every last one of them's wrong. Michael, you can't say that. They get paid more than you. There are a lot of rich idiots in the world. Okay? Just because someone's got money and been affirmed by society doesn't mean they know anything. All right. So, and just because they're poor doesn't mean they do either. So anyway. Our power to change begins when we realize we're powerless. If you're in the house and you've been through a recovery program, you started with surrender. That's the first step. I've got to realize that there are things I can't change. That's what puts us in addiction, is we're trying to control things outside of ourselves, hoping that by controlling them, somehow they'll come back to us and fix us. Which, Henry Cloud puts it this way, boundaries, ah, uh, man. It's going to be hard to get this sermon done, especially when I add content as we go. Everybody in this room, imagine your life, just, just your life, you live inside of a, a fence, okay? And so this room is like a big suburbs right here, okay, uh, with bad streets and potholes and everything. And you are responsible for your yard. Let's call it your yard, all right? It's your yard. If your grass is brown, it's because you're not watering your yard, okay? If your bushes are dead, it's because you're not taking care of your yard. If you have a tree that's falling down, it's your yard, man, okay? Well, a lot of us are living our life like, well, here's my yard, and my yard's dead, but here's what I'll do. My neighbor's yard. I will water his yard so much that he'll feel guilty and water mine. Is that stupid? What? Where'd you go? That's exactly how we live our lives. We go through life thinking that if I'm just nice enough, if I just say yes enough, if enough people like me, someone else will take care of my yard. When God said, hey, I gave you a life. It's yours from me. You steward it. I want you to take care of it. As we go through this series, we'll look at the parable on the talents and see how God gives you something for you to take care of. Does that make sense? And that's the basis of what we are digging into today. So we need to realize, though, that I, by myself, in my own strength, can't even manage 
my own yard, much less my neighbor's yard. Right? How many of us are dying on the inside trying to fix everybody else's life? Oh, oh, I'm going to meddle now. How many of you this Christmas, uh, just, just a few weeks ago, and this was your mindset, oh man, if, if all the kids will just come home and if the, my husband will get the tree, the right tree, and if my wife will just prepare coconut cake, because I love coconut cake, I will have the perfect Christmas. You ever think something like that? You know what the problem with that is? Your perfect Christmas depends on everybody else's yard. What my husband does, what my kids do, what my wife does, so on. Uh, so, that's stupid. So now let's turn to the idea. Leonard, I appreciate you being on my side. Everyone else is too nervous. Here's what we have the power to do. I better move along because I'm spending too much time on this point. Here's what we have the power to do. You ready? Surrender. That's what we have the power to do. You say, that doesn't sound like a great power. <laughs> it does if you were fighting in an army and you were a grunt soldier going into an impossible battle and the only person who has the power to surrender is the commanding officer and not you. You see, surrender is a power. And God wants us to live in surrender to Him, to the truth, and to the reality that we need help. I'm in Wyoming, and I know you're sitting there going, I don't need help. I don't want to say anything mean, but I'd like you to refer back to the word stupid. Is that too far? We need help. And so, we need to realize that there is power in surrender. When you let go of the power you don't actually possess, you soon discover a power greater than anything you could have ever imagined. When you release the power you don't actually possess, you discover a power greater than anything you could have ever imagined. 2 Corinthians 12.9 God said... He said to me, is what the actual thing says, but Paul is referring to God. My grace is all you need. Say all you need. All you need. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Good job. It works best in weakness. Isn't that weird? Because we think it works best in our strength, don't we? I mean, isn't... On our best days with God, the days we felt like we were strong, I nailed it today. And God says, my strength works best in weakness. So what's Paul's response to that? So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. Boast about them. Bring up my weaknesses. I'm glad to boast about them. So the power of Christ, not the power of Michael, the power of Christ can work through me. That's how you fix your yard. Okay? It's not in you cowboying up. It's in God showing up. Amen? Amen. So, in thinking of that, uh, you know, I'm going to roll on. I had another cool point there. I'm going to pass it up. Galatians 6. Pay careful attention 
<coughs> to your own work, for then you'll get to the, the, the satisfaction of a job well done. You won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. We're each responsible for our own conduct. We're going to dig into Galatians 6 again in a later sermon. Today I'm just going to kind of skim over it. I have one point I'm really trying to get to. And so, but let's consider that. You are responsible for you. So you got to be you. And that's the title of the message. That's where it's at. You have got to be you. No one else can be you. You have to take responsibility for that. Okay? Are there areas in your life, this may sting, there are there areas in your life that you feel like someone is running you over, someone has taken control away from you, that you are trapped? Are those areas, do they, <coughs> excuse me, do they exist in your life? Here's how to find them. Who do I resent right now? Who am I resentful toward? Because this happens, right? This is how it happens to me, and you may work a little different than me. That's cool. But... I used to really be a terrible yes guy. What that means is, you'd ask me something in the first jack out the box, you know what that means, right? I'd say, yes. I'd just assume I could do it. Without talking to someone in my life who's way more important than you, my wife, okay? No offense, but she is. And then what would happen is, I would say yes to things that were not the best for me, and I would say no to her, Every yes is a no. Every time you say yes, you're saying no to somebody else or something else. I'd say yes to something that I didn't care about, and then I'd be saying no to her, to my amazing eight sons. I'd say no to them. That's not good, right? And so we need to, so what would happen is I'd realize I said yes, I'm a people pleaser, I shouldn't have done it, and then I would be resentful. I would do it because I said I would. I want to be a man of my word. But then I wouldn't do it. It wouldn't be a love thing. It would be an obligation thing. Um, we'll look into that, the implications of that, and, and again, in a later message. But if there's areas in your life that have resentment, have anger wrapped around them, here's what that might mean. It doesn't always mean that, but it might mean that someone is taking from me rather than me giving to them. Do you understand the difference? Okay. Um, by the way, I guess I better throw out another quali qualifier. This sermon series isn't about how to control other people in your life. It's about how to control you. I don't want to take away your wild dreams here, but you're your problem. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Suck it up, buttercup. <clears throat> See, that was mean. He shouldn't have said that. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I think I should have said it. Anyway, so you and I have things that we, so we need to take responsibility for our own conduct in life. Some of the things we need in life, we actually need, we really need God. I, I, don't, I know no one in this room would argue that. But we really need a divine connection to God. We don't just need to know about God. We don't just need more theology about God. We just don't need to read more books about God. We need to actually hang out with Father, okay? We need that. We need that. So if I have to say no to that to say yes to you, which one do you think needs to be the priority? You answer that, okay? I'll let it go right there. I also need people in my life. I need to get out of the cowboy up thing. I need help. I need help. I don't need help with my day-to-day -day challenges. I mean, I can take care of the laundry, the dishes, the kids, changing the oil. I don't need help with that most of the time. 
But there are other things in my life, these, these loads that we all get. So look, consider Galatians 6, 1 and 2. It says, Brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person onto the right path. Be careful not to fall in the same temptation yourself. Verse 2, share each other's burdens. We're going to look into the language that, that Paul's using later. Paul? Yeah, Galatians. Um, but... <clears throat> Just for today, see that Paul points out two things. You're responsible for your conduct, sharing each other's burdens. There's something distinct going on there. So I need help. I have burdens in life that are too big for me. You have burdens in life that are too big for you. You have responsibilities that you can handle with God's strength, but we need people in our life to do that, okay? So we need to, to kind of wrap our head around that idea. We've got to be you. Who else is going to be you? Who else can do it? Who else is qualified? Who else thinks like you? Who else has been through what you've been through? Who else cares about what you care about? Who else has recovered from the same wounds that you've recovered from? Who else can heal other people in the way that you've been healed, if not you? Do you understand? I have to take responsibility for me, and I'm the only one that God created saved, redeemed, and recreated to be me. Make sense? So, no one else can do it. Amen. <clears throat> nope, got ahead of myself. Ignore that last slide. <laughs> we'll be there in a minute. So, to move into taking care of my yard, if I can use the expression, I need to learn this thing called responsibility. What is responsibility? Well, we like freedom, right? I like freedom. Uh, I used to have a lot more of it, but that's a political discussion I want to have right now. <laughs> <clears throat> freedom always lives in tension with responsibility. A people without responsibility can never be free. And if you are struggling in your life with freedom, it's probably because you're struggling with responsibility. Viktor Frankl said, he, he renamed it. He uh, called it responsibleness. And he referred to it as a way in which we exist in our world. A way in which we exist in our world. So what does that mean? We like to get hung up on who to blame, don't we? How many times have you said, well, it's not my fault. And what you really meant was, it's not my problem. But the problem with saying it's not my problem was, it was actually your problem. Even though it wasn't your fault. What do you mean? Okay, so I'm walking down the road and Bruce uh, falls asleep at the wheel. Not that he would ever do that, but you know, his wife kept him up too late cleaning house and he fell asleep at the wheel. <laughs> I'm walking down the road like that could ever happen. Fall asleep at the wheel, he hits me with his car, breaks my leg. Not my fault, my leg's broken. Bruce will probably help me with medical expenses and all those kind of things. But at the end of the day, who's got to go about the process of rehabilitation to get their leg back? Who? Me. Wasn't my, wasn't my fault. But it's still my responsibility. What if, not that you would ever do this, but what if I just had someone drag me home? lay me on the couch, 
and I just sit there and declare for the rest of my life, well, it's Bruce's fault, and he's got to fix it, and I ain't doing nothing. And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Stupid. That's stupid, Michael. Responsibleness is the ability to take responsibility, ability to respond for me. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter whose fault it is. This is a basis for boundaries. Taking responsibility from my yard. If my grass is dead, that's my responsibility. If I don't have any bushes, that's my responsibility. My fence has got holes in it. You got it. So that's what it means to live in responsibleness, to live responsibly. It's not about, and then pause, control freaks in the house. It's not about taking control. You have control. It's not about taking control. It's about being responsible. I have, uh, I have control over me and how I respond. So there may be someone in my life who deals with anger. You probably have someone in your life who deals with anger. And you are trying, you have probably tried very hard to help them not deal with, or to try and control their response about anger. And so you've, uh, you've tried to manage that, take responsibility for them. Well, here's what I'm saying. When I take responsibility for me, I'm taking responsibility for how I respond to the angry person. I'm not taking responsibility for the angry person. Does that make sense? There's a lot of Proverbs about angry people, by the way. You should read a proverb every day. They're super cool, and they're very smart and really confusing until you understand that the basis for them is wisdom. Okay? So I can take responsibility for me, and if we look at the story of the Good Samaritan, the beaten Jew, and the Levite and the priest, and we think about where are we in the story right now. Sometimes we're in the story. Sometimes we're the Good Samaritan. Hey, yay for you. What does that look like? I help somebody get to a better place. How's that? Is that a good, good way to wrap your head around the Good Samaritan? I help someone get to a better place. Sometimes we're the beaten Jew. We're broken, and we can't get ourselves to a better place. That's the burden that Paul's talking about, and we need help. So it's one thing when we can help. It's another thing when we're broken. But what we don't want to be is the priest or the Levite, right? No one wants to be useless, how do we end up useless? We end up useless when we let everything else in our life push us to the end of our limits and there's nothing left to help the broken person. That's how we end up useless. You see, we get stronger to help other people as we let Father and others, Father and others, love God, love others, pour into us. We get stronger and we're more capable to love and serve but when we let people push us outside of our limits continually, and we never say no, or we seldom do, they're running our lives. And this may be an awakening moment for you, but no one out there, one, is able to run your life, and two, this may sting, no one out there actually thinks about you enough to run your life very well. And he's like, no, a lot of people think, most people think about how you impact them, not what's best for you. I'm not saying that so you'll resent people. 
The point of this message isn't so you can just kind of wall yourself off from the world. Some of you are already doing that. The reason you feel like you need to isolate yourself from the world is because you haven't had good lines in your life to free you to actually love people. This series is about love and actually being able to help out of love rather than resentment, okay? So you gotta be you, you gotta own that fact that you are you, and, and then I guess my, what I wanna conclude with today is, is this thought right here, okay? I talked about often we get stuck at a place of fault. So I wanna come back to that for just a second and I'll wrap up. And what I mean by that is simply this. We often end up in a place where something happened to us, someone abused us, someone used us, someone betrayed us, someone hurt us, what have you. And we get stuck there. And a lot of you in this room, I don't know specifically, but I, I know I've talked to enough people to know a lot of you are stuck in something that wasn't your fault. But it happened. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm a broken person too. Stuff happened to me too. I'm sorry that it happened. But you getting whole and you getting well, and you having a a healthy view on life and healthy relationships, that's on you. That's your responsibility. Now, God's, God's the Father, and right now, He's here, He's in this room, He's in this situation, and He says, we can fix this. We can heal you. This is the root of holiness, is wholeness. We can bring you in. We can unfreeze that horrible moment. And you can be free. But I want to throw out one caveat. God lives in eternity. He doesn't care what time it is. He knows how it's going to work. What am I saying? Your American microwave mindset. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to get prayer today. That would be a great idea. Over there, over there, hint, hint. And then I'll be fixed. No. You do need someone to pour some prayers into you. We need that. I need that. In fact, I came up, I, uh, came up to my wife just before this message and asked her to pour prayer into me because I need it. We need people to pour prayers in us. But God doesn't fix us like that all the time. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. But a lot of times he really likes to walk through our yard Oh, man, this grass is dead. We need to do something about that. Now, we're used to feeling guilt and shame, and he's died for all the guilt and shame, and he's like, we just need to water this thing. We just need to pour into this thing, into you, into your life. The basis for ministry is not doing more. It's receiving more that I can give more. It starts with receiving, dude. You understand that, right? So often we start backwards. We start giving when we haven't received. Surely you can do them both at the same time. Yes, I'm not saying you can't. I'm I'm just pointing out that we need. You're responsible for you. If someone hurt you, there's no shortcuts. There's no magic bullets. $15 book from Amazon ain't going to get her done. I use it on purpose. I need God. I need Jesus. And I need friends. You hear me? I want to challenge you to do two things this afternoon. First of all, I'd like you to think about your friend's situation. 
do I have safe people in my life that can pour into me? That's the first question. The second question is a prayer. I'd like you to ask God, Father, show me what's me and show me what's not. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I got to confess, Lord, I'm excited. I wish there was time to share, and maybe things will come out in this series, the boundary issues that I have had in my life. I thank you, Lord, that your word is sound and true and that your gospel impacts the most practical pieces of life. I thank you that your parables are loaded with so many rich truths. Thank you for the whole Bible, first to last. So good. Would you help us, Lord? We need better connection with you, really, to start. We need to take responsibility for our own spiritual life, for our growth, for our worship. Lord, often we try and live without worship, thinking that the academics of theology are going to somehow change us, and they haven't in hundreds of years. Lord, we need the Spirit to connect us deeply with you. And we need each other so badly. And the truth is, Lord, we don't have time for each other. We're, we're running so past. We have so many things that we're responsible for and so many things to take care of. And the truth is, God, other than maybe sneaking into church every so often, we just don't have time for you. Forgive us. Lord, I know that even though you call us to righteousness, your love embraces us as soon as we turn into your arms. And we turn into your arms because you're always right with us. We may run from you, but you chased your lost sheep down. So, Lord, I pray that in this room, men and women turn into Jesus. We, be dis we discover our connection with God. And we begin to learn what is ours and what is not. And we begin to live our life with your support, your power, in a way that really blesses people. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Worship team, I forgot to give you a heads up. So we're having a prayerful pause there.